Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. I see we have a pair of glasses up here. Anybody want to claim them? I don't think they're mine. Mine are on my face. Well, they're up here. If anybody's missing a pair of glasses, they're up here. Mark chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse number 22 today. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's one in front of you in the seat. And that's the same translation that I'm reading from this morning. Mark 8, 22. We're going to speak today on a second touch. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray today as we look at this interesting story, told only by Mark, I pray, Father, that you speak to our hearts. And help us to understand this second touch. And help us, Lord, if we need a second touch, uh, to understand that as well. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help me today to preach. My, my mind is befuddled today, I confess. And I pray that you would just clear my mind. And help me, Lord, to preach well. And I pray I'd uh, say the things I should and be protected from saying anything I ought not. And I just pray, Lord, you just use this time. When it is all over, may the only thing we're thinking of uh, be our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, our walk with him. So bless this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we do have another miracle that is mentioned only in Mark. We've seen a couple of those now in the last few weeks. And just as with the previous miracle where Jesus healed the deaf-mute, or the man who had the speech impediment. Uh, we find ourselves scratching our heads, don't we? Because this is an interesting story. And there's a lot of questions that come to our mind as we think about this. I mean, just think about some of the things we read. They brought a blind man. Uh, now, we know people must be brought to Jesus. We know that. And yet, in this case, we find ourselves, at least I find myself wondering, why did they bring him? There's nothing in this text that indicates he had any faith whatsoever, that he had any interest in this proceeding at all. Uh, but they brought him. Why did they do that? Uh, did he want to come? Or is this just a group of miracle seekers? They brought a blind man. They brought a blind man. And, of course, we have to ask ourselves about his blindness. And we wonder, was he born blind? We know that Jesus has healed those who were born blind. Was this man born this way? And it would seem like, it's not the case. Can't be, can't be absolutely certain. The text doesn't say, but he did know what a tree looked like. Well, that's a pretty good clue. He knew what other people looked like. And so it would seem that somewhere along the line, he had lost his vision, not been born that way. It says that they begged him to touch him. And we know only the master could take away blindness, and yet this request seems to indicate they had some preconceived notion about him. Again, it goes back to this idea that maybe... They thought of him as some sort of a miracle worker, and someone in whose touch there was something magical. I'm reminded of the, uh, the woman who snuck up behind him and touched the hem of his garment because she believed just touching him, there would be some kind of power just in his touch. And, of course, he had to correct her thinking and explain to her that it was her faith that healed her. But they begged him to touch, and you wonder... Is that what, that, that what they thought would heal, just the touch of Jesus? There are seven recorded incidents where Jesus healed someone's blindness. His methods were not always the same, uh, but they seemed to think there was something special about his touch. 
uh, he took him out of the city. He took this man and led him out of the town. Why did he do that? Why couldn't he just do it right where it was? Why couldn't he do him? Uh, do this healing right where he stood. He took him out of the city, and then he dealt with him one-on-one. It reminds me of the way he dealt with the, the deaf mute that we talked about last time. And I can't help but imagine the scene. Jesus leading this man by the hand, the Scripture says, and they picked their way through the obstacles, all through the twists and turns of the city until they had left the city. I find myself asking odd questions. Here's this time where Jesus is alone leading this blind man by the hand. Did they talk? Was there any conversation that took place? as they were walking out of the city. But then some really interesting things. Jesus asked him if he saw anything. Now, why in the world would Jesus have to ask him that question? Did Jesus not know the answer to that question? Can you see anything? He asked. And then the man said, I see men like trees walking. And, of course, this is the part of the story that really gets to us and really makes us stop and think. I see men like trees walking. In other words, I see a little bit that I don't see clearly. And we have to ask, what? 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 Was Jesus suffering a power failure here? I mean, is there some reason why he could not heal him with one touch? Why the first time did he only see men as trees? Was there something unusually difficult about this case that uh, took a little extra from Jesus? I see men like trees. It's the only time, by the way, when we see Jesus healing someone gradually. Every other healing was instantaneous. This one was gradual. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? What's the point of that? And then we see in verse number 23, Jesus led him out of the town and told him in verse number 26 not to go back into the town. And we have to ask ourselves, why again? Why would Jesus not want the town to see this? And why would he not want him to go back and testify in that same town? Interesting questions. It's a lot of questions that come to my mind when I read this particular passage. This morning in our little elders' prayer meeting beforehand, I asked the elders about it, and we all had questions about this particular passage. But I think there's one central truth here, and I think if we look at this one central truth, maybe some of our questions will be answered, and that is this. I think this is kind of the theme of this passage. Some people need a second touch, and Jesus provides that. Some people need a second touch. And Jesus provides it. So let's, let's think about that for a few moments. Let's dive into that and see if that answers some of these other questions. Now, it's very important that we lay some groundwork. First of all, we need to state right up front that it is absolutely true that only one touch is needed for salvation. Only one touch. Salvation is a point-in-time transaction that, at least to our finite and time-based understanding, takes place the very moment we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The very moment we go from unbelief to belief. The very moment we stop trusting in our own goodness and start trusting in what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, we are saved. Several verses of Scripture come to mind. John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has, present tense, everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Uh, John chapter 5 and verse number 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense, everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death to life, already completed transaction. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And he told Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. So uh, salvation is a point in time thing. 
we need to make sure we lay that groundwork right off the bat. Only one touch is needed. Only one touch of the master. In John chapter 4, verses 46 through 53, we have the story of a nobleman, a nobleman whose son was healed. And if you go there, and we won't read it now, but if you just go there on your own and look at that passage, you'll see that the very moment, the very moment the man believed, the son was healed. And so, it's true, only one touch is needed for salvation. We need to state that right up front. And we also need to say that only one touch is needed for restoration. For us as believers, should we fall away from God to get back to that right relationship with God? Uh, it's just a one-time thing. As Christians, we may from time to time find our fervor cooling or our zeal lacking or our love for Christ and His kingdom waning. We are in a spiritual battle, aren't we? And when we, like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress, find ourselves uh, under the darts raining as thick as hail down upon us from a, our, our enemy, Apollyon, when that happens, we might falter, we might drift. You ever faced a time like that, Christian? You ever found yourself drifting away? I, I certainly confess that I have. And the glorious and amazing truth that we have in Scripture is just like it just takes you know one transaction to get saved in the first place. It's the same thing. We can get back from that dangerous place. We can be revived in our zeal. We can be restored to our right relationship with our Savior just like that. just takes one touch. It's another thing that can take place in a moment in time. All we need to do is turn our hearts toward home. All we need to do is confess our sin and coldness and seek Him again. First John chapter 1 and verse number 9, if, he is, if, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I don't suppose that we could improve on the example Jesus gave of this very thing when He told the story of the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son, how far he drifted away. You remember what a mess he made of his life. And you also remember that there came a time of having drifted so far when he realized he needed to turn back toward home. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 20, he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And so when he did turn toward home, he found his father was already waiting for him. And he found that it was all instantly restored. Uh, He was instantly restored to his place in the family. One man said, no matter how many steps backward you have taken as a Christian, it is only one step back to Christ. And so let's make sure those two things are understood right up front. There's only one touch needed for us to come to Christ in the first place. And there's only one touch needed for us if we've drifted away to get back. This second touch thing is not a requirement. But that having been said, it is also true that some seem to need more than one touch. Uh, At least they give that impression. The disciples certainly seemed to need it here, didn't they? I mean, if we think about the fact Jesus' reminder and rebuke in verse number 18 would be a a pretty good example of, of, of that in them. He said, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? They didn't seem to get it with one touch. And some commentators that I read seem to indicate that they think Jesus was actually using this miracle here to teach the disciples that truth, to teach the disciples, just like he had used the two miraculous feedings to teach them the truth that Jesus would provide for their every need. Some would say that he was using this miracle to reinforce, in spite of your thickness, guys, in spite of your dullness, I'm going to keep teaching and I'm going to keep until you get it, until you get it. 
of course, he did. The disciples needed more than one touch. But they weren't alone in that. Matter of fact, Paul warned preacher Timothy that many, many would need such a second touch. And he encouraged Timothy and also encouraged all of us to keep preaching and teaching until they do get it. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Sometimes you just got to say it over and over and over because sometimes we do need a second touch. And not only that, this, this was far from Jesus' only experience with that sort of thing. He, he often commented on the fact that others need to be told over and over that he needed a second and sometimes a third or a fourth touch. Philip was an example. Philip was an example. Jesus said to Philip, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen the Father has, who he has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? It was, it was like he was saying to him, don't you, you still don't get it? You still don't get it? He needed yet another touch. And now we know that that, that's not a good thing. That this kind of weakness is never a truly good thing because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We know that. But we also know it's normal, don't we? We also know that uh, all of us from time to time find ourselves in that state. One of my pastors and mentors years ago used to say that we dwell in enfeebled bodies. I always liked that quote. We dwell in enfeebled bodies. And it's true. One day yet future to these events, Jesus is going to remind these very same disciples. He's going to say, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak true. We mentioned in the last study, the father who cried out to Jesus and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe some in this room would say those descriptions are a little bit too familiar. Perhaps some, uh, like the prodigal, have strayed. Maybe you, like the disciples, maybe you're in a place in your life where you just feel like you don't get it these days. Maybe you, like the father, believe but the realities and problems of life have pressed so upon you that you feel your faith wavering. Is that you? Because if so, maybe you need a second touch. It's there for you. Read that verse again. He put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. When I was 12 years old, I was, uh, I was saved in this church. I believed the gospel, and I trusted Christ, and I was saved. I stepped out during an invitation, and I knelt before the Lord, and I asked for the gift that Jesus had died to give me. And from that moment on, I have been a child of the King. From that moment on, I have been saved. There and then I was born again. There and then I was redeemed. At that moment, I was forgiven. And what a wonderful word that is. At that moment, I was forgiven of every sin, every wrong thought, every evil action, every rotten behavior that I would ever commit, every sin. Whether I had already committed those sins by the time I was 12 years old or whether they were yet future at the time, every sin, when I knelt, when I prayed, when I believed, Jesus forgave them all. Right then and right there. But the amazing thing is, since that day, there have been other times when I've needed to come and kneel again and again and again. Not for salvation, which is a finished transaction, but rather because I, as my old pastor would say, dwell in an enfeebled body. And I, like most of you, I expect, drift from times to time. 
The songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so sometimes I, like the prodigal, need to look around and see what I've gotten myself into and turn around and come home. Sometimes, if we think about it that way, I need a second touch. And perhaps you do too. So sometimes the saved need a second touch. I think also sometimes the lost need a second touch before they will believe in the first place. This man did. He didn't come by himself. He was brought by friends. And I think the implication here in this passage is that he just really didn't believe or understand at all. He just came because somebody brought him. And we see Jesus dealing with him here in this very interesting way, dealing with him one-on-one, touching his eyes just enough to make this man know that, hey, there's hope here. There's somebody here that can heal me. He had no thought of this, I don't think, before this. Jesus could make him see again. And I think that in this man who was brought by others, as Jesus touched him that first time, faith began to stir. And he began to see. And then with that second touch, he saw everyone clearly. You know, we all come into the family of God one way. We all come into the family of God by grace through faith. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says. But not everyone gets there at the same speed. We all get there the same way, but not at the same speed. Some, some hear and receive immediately. Others need to hear it over and over and over again. We're going to meet another blind man when we get to chapter 10. His name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was blind. He was sitting along the highway side begging when he heard Jesus coming by, and he began to shout and scream and jumped up and ran to Jesus and was was healed immediately. He didn't need more than one touch. But this man here, he did. He needed that second touch. His faith dawned a little at a time until he saw clearly. One man said regarding the salvation of souls, there no doubt is a millisecond when one crosses from unbelief to belief and into the kingdom of heaven. But God does not always do things in a perceptible moment we can observe. At times we can see it as with Paul on the Damascus road in a flash of light. But others receive a little light and then more and then more until they see everything clearly. Some people just need to hear it again and again and again. Quoting again, this man said, we cannot put God into a box. Anyone who tries to tame him does so at great spiritual risk. Paul says we are God's workmanship, literally his poems, his masterpieces in Ephesians 2.10. But we are individual works of art, and the process is unique to each one. We must submit to his touch. And so I would say to you that that's, that's why we as believers just can't stop slinging seed. We have to just keep witnessing and we have to keep throwing that seed, not growing weary, leaving the results to God because not everyone is going to experience salvation in exactly the same way that we did. Some are going to experience it in church as I did, walking an aisle. Some might experience it across their their kitchen table, talking one-on-one with a friend or a neighbor. I knew a man once who was saved while jogging across a field. He told me that he was just out jogging one day. And just suddenly in the middle of this field, it was a sod field, he said, where they grew sod. He said just all of a sudden everything became clear. He, all, all the things that people had taught, everything that he'd heard in church, it just all of a sudden just converted. And suddenly he realized and understood. He knelt right there in the middle of that field and trusted Christ as his Savior. I had a friend by the name of Charlie. Charlie. I knew Charlie in southern Ohio when I pastored down there. And at the time that I knew Charlie, he was an old man. He was an interesting, interesting character. He had been a moonshiner in his youth. 
He had been a cockfighter in his youth. He had all kinds of interesting stories to tell. But his testimony was perhaps one of the more interesting stories. He had family that loved him and family that had witnessed to him and family that had tried to get him saved for years and years of his life, and he just laughed them off. He was a very hard-bitten old dude. He operated a bulldozer for the steel mill down there, one of the steel mills, and uh, he told me that one day he was sitting on the seat of that bulldozer, just working like any other day, thinking about all the things his family and friends had told him for all those years. And he said, all of a sudden, it made sense. And all of a sudden, he said he shut off his bulldozer. He was up in years at this time. Shut off his bulldozer and knelt right there in the seat and prayed. And buddy, if anybody ever got saved, it was that, that fella. I preached his funeral, I can guarantee you. I'll introduce you to him in heaven because he will be there. You see, everybody is saved by grace through faith. But for some, it might be a nearly instantaneous thing. But for others, like this blind man here, they might have to hear it. It might be more of a process and faith may come gradually. And so as believers, we need to just keep flinging that seed and keep sharing the truth and keep telling our loved ones and not giving up. Now, we do need to be clear about one other thing, and that is this. It does not, this does not give us license to delay. It does not give us license to put off trusting Christ. If you know enough, if you can see enough to know Jesus is the one who can save you, you need to act upon that light, and you need to trust him, and you need to do it now. You can't presume upon that second touch because there is a limit to it, and we see it in this passage. Interesting. Jesus refused the message to the people of Bethsaida. Did you notice that? He took the man outside of the city in verse 23, and then he told him not to go back into it in verse number 26. Warren Wearsby points out, The city of Bethsaida had already been judged because of its unbelief. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24. It had already been judged, and no more evidence would be given to them. There is a limit to the second touch. Proverbs 29, verse number 1, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Herod, you remember good old Herod? Herod took off John the Baptist's head. Didn't want to listen to the preaching of the gospel from John the Baptist. And then later on, he wanted to hear from Jesus, but he received only silence. He had reached the limit of God's patience. Luke chapter 23, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. And so we need to be careful. Don't presume upon his second touch. Well, I wonder this morning whether you've experienced the touch of the Master in the first place. It is the only touch that saves. It's the only touch that heals and cures. It's the only touch that can solve your every problem and meet your every need and forgive your every sin. Have you experienced it? If you haven't, would you do it today? If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, would you do it today? I believe today as we sing, some may need to come and kneel and accept a gift of salvation that he holds out to you. And you need to do it for that very first time. But perhaps today you, you would say, okay, I've heard you say that many, many times, Pastor, but I'm just not quite there yet. Maybe you've heard it a lot of times and you just haven't responded. And maybe you, like this man, see men as trees walking. Not clearly. You understand a little. 
but you just can't quite get it clear in your head. If that's you, I think, you know what I think you need to do? I think you need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ for that second touch. I think you need to kneel, and I think you need to say, Lord, give me clarity, give me understanding, give me sight. Touch my eyes again that I might see clearly before it is too late. And for those who are Christians here today, I would ask you this. Has has your vision become cloudy? Are you finding it harder and harder to see? Where once things seemed so clear, are they blurry now? I think some Christians might need to come and kneel and say, Lord, I need that second touch. One wrote, it thus, uh, one wrote a poem about this, and he said this. He said, Lo, a hand amidst the darkness clasped mine own. Led me forth, the blind and helpless, led me forth alone. From the crowd and from the clamor to a silent place touched mine eyes. I looked upon him, saw him face to face. Saw him as the dawning swiftly risen o'er the valley's gray. I had passed from midnight of my prison forth into the day. Lo, again his mighty hand hath touched me, touched the eyes so dim. Radiant in the noontide of his heaven, now they look on him. He put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly.